Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I am here in a beautiful suite at Holt Renfrew with the founder and CEO of Outland Denim, James Bartle. Welcome. Oh, Donna, thank you so much for having me. And all the way from Sydney, Australia, I hope that your jet lag is not too bad. I've been uh, over this way now for nearly two weeks, so I'm, uh, I've settled in nicely. I'm super excited to talk to you about Outland, but before we get into the story of your brand, um, we'd like to get to know you a little bit. So can you start with just sharing where you're from and what your family makeup is? Yeah, sure. Well, look, I'm, uh, I have an older brother and younger sister and two very sportive parents. And we actually, um, well, my growing up years were spent on, in Queensland in the Gold Coast hinterland and then out in central Queensland, which is right in the middle of uh, Queensland. So it's a, a very rural community. There's about 5,000 people in the, in the town and it was surrounded by um, sheep and cattle stations. And so I grew up in the country with a love for Australia and Australian outback and um, then found myself, you know, moving into uh, more of a city lifestyle um, in later years. And, uh, and Queensland is uh, central Australia, so to speak, right? It's not on a coast? So Queensland has uh, an eastern coastline. And, um, and then goes right in toward the center of Australia, yeah. All of us in Canada believe Australians are surfers, so it's good to get the, <laughs> <laughs> get the well, geography down. That's right. And look, where, where, where our headquarters are is actually on the Gold Coast hinterland. So we're about 40 minutes from the beach, and um, so it, we're surrounded by surfers. And what kind of kid were you growing up? When you think back to, you know, James, you know, pre-teenager, how would you describe yourself? Well, I, uh, I was always interested in, in outdoor activities. In fact, really all I ever wanted to be was a cowboy. And, um, you know, that's what I would play as my brother would be out motorbike riding. I'd be on a horse um, until later years where I um, then became a racer. And so racing motocross became everything. And that's, that's then what I uh, followed right through my, my teen years and into my adult years as well. And when you go back to your teen years, what sort of stuff were you into? What kind of music did you listen to? What were your, besides motocrossing, what were some of your hobbies? Yeah, so funny. Um, music I listened to, um, Nirvana. I remember Nirvana, you know, that's, um, but but I had a, wi- a wide range of things that I'd listen to, you know, I love the Beach Boys, you know, so, um, and it's not because I'm from that era, but I just think, you know, that, that music is cool and I like, I like having the variety and I think that's, um, you know, reflects my life a little bit as having some variety in your life and, and the lifestyle I get to even live today, it does have that. And, um, and were you into fashion when you were younger? Well, I would say no, um, but I was recently um, showing a picture that was taken on me when I was about 10 years old and I was a total poser um, and it always had to be a, uh, a pair of denim jeans um, and my shirt was only buttoned halfway up and it was, yeah, so apparently, yes, I've always been into it to some degree, but I wouldn't see myself that way. I think we all have a moment when we realize that fashion is more than just clothes to protect our body, be it because you discover it can be a form of self-expression or creativity. Can you think of a moment where you had that kind of relationship where you realized it was more than just something to protect your body from, from the Australian sun? The very first time I ever realized how powerful fashion could be was through launching our brand. Um, until then it had very much just been an item of clothing, but when I realized what power it had, um, everything changed and my view of fashion and love for fashion, uh, began to grow. 
I love that you were talking about wearing denim as a young person, because to me, then it makes a very straight line to starting a denim line. I think jeans are such a democratic piece of clothing. They're timeless. They have interesting working class histories. Were these all some of the things you were thinking about when you were starting a denim line? Look, I, for some reason, have always loved denim. And so it's, it just makes absolute sense that that's what I would want to work with if I was in fashion. And in fact, I remember when we started this, it was, it was very clear to me what I wanted to do. There was never a question of anything else. Um, and I would often say that this would be the product that I would say in anybody's wardrobe that, that just like you've said, it captures time and it's like a song, you know, you know, you wear a pair of jeans and it reminds you of a a memory or an, an experience that you've had. And I think that, you know, when you're, when you're trying to create purpose through, through fashion, jeans are the way that you're going to be able to change the most, in my opinion. I think they're such a, a, not just timeless, but they are ageless as well, like from toddler through to, you know. Absolutely. As old as any of us are blessed to get. Yeah, yeah. uh, Denim's in our wardrobe. I know part of your story is that you were traveling in Asia, and that's when you became aware of the crisis of, of human trafficking. Could you tell me a little bit about what that experience was? And I'm curious, which came first, your desire to you know, be an activist and, and create this sort of like agency of change or to be an entrepreneur? Was that entrepreneurial bug always a part of you as well? Look, I don't think the entrepreneurial bug was always part of me. Um, we started this very much backwards to the majority of brands you would see. Um, I had the opportunity to travel into Southeast Asia with a rescue agency and it was upon that trip that I saw a little girl for sale. And it was a life-altering moment for me. Um, I could see that she was very obviously scared and intimidated by where she was and what was happening to her. And um, I often think about what has happened to her. We walked away that night um, with the agency and, um, you know, their comments to me was, James, if you look around, these little girls are everywhere. And something triggered and I, I knew straight away that I'm committed to this. I'll do whatever I can do to be a part of the solution. And so it wasn't at that moment that I thought, let's make jeans. It was, I just want to be a part of the solution. And so you start thinking about rescues or what, what does it actually look like? But our research just kept taking us back to the fact that these women um, that we're working with and men as well are, uh, are poor. They're made vulnerable because of the economic situation they've been maybe born into or found themselves in through, in another way. And how do we get back to back to that part of the problem? And if we could solve that, would we solve this human trafficking problem worth $150 billion? It's staggering. It is. And, and I think that this has been a, a great example of what is possible. Now, we're still micro scaling compared to the problem that we're, we're fighting, but it's proving itself to work. You know, we're, we're changing futures by creating opportunities for these women to work in and men to work in as well now, which is also really exciting for us. Um, but if more business, if fashion itself could, could change to being able to use, use the, um, the influence and the ability to provide work opportunities to more people in this way, what would happen to the people, but then on an environmental level, that's a whole new story and so much opportunity to create positive change. Tell me a little bit about the distance between seeing that little girl on the street and Outland Denim becoming a reality. How much time are we talking between those two, those two moments? We're talking six years. So it was six years of employing people. We started employing people nearly straight away. Um, we employed the first two 
employed the first two girls and um, they came in as teenagers. You know, they had been um, through some pretty horrific things and were desperate for sustainable employment. And so that was where we started. And then it grew to five and nine. And, you know, now we have a hundred um, staff over there. And, and it's, it's been an incredible journey just to see how um, we've had to, you know, overcome consistently and all the time a new problem, something you've never thought about before becomes a problem. And um, if you exist to have a social impact, then you're confronted with um, all of these these issues, you know, when you first go into this kind of environment, you think that the more they're paid, the better. And then you need to realize that you actually need to work out what living wages are so that they can be taught how to manage money and all these things. And it becomes quite complex. And it was those six years is, is what we spent, you know, really developing that to have a really profound impact on somebody's life. Were you aware of the environmental impact of the denim industry when you decided to become a denim company yourself. I mean, there's the, the movie, The River Blue, which I think is such a powerful piece of cinema in terms of understanding the environmental impact of, of the denim industry. Was that something you knew about already or did you decide to start the business and then go, oh my, <laughs> this is going to be harder than I thought. Yeah, absolutely. The second, you know, uh, I had no idea. And in fact, you know, I would call anybody who started talking to me about these things a tree-hugging hippie. Honestly, I had no idea. I was so ignorant. And as I got further into it and I learned more about it, I just couldn't turn away from it and realized that, you know, denim was creating the most havoc of all fashion. And, you know, it, it nearly seems like it's strategic. It wasn't strategic, but if it was, it would have been brilliant to use denim to change this problem. Because if you go to the dirtiest and the most terrible part of fashion and start there and prove that to be done the right way, then the rest of it should just fall into place over time, you know. Um, but it wasn't strategic, but it certainly has been an incredible journey of learning and coming up with new ways of being able to produce um, things ethically on, a, on a, an environmental level and, and not destroy the communities that we are working in and beyond. How do you, because I think there can be this um, desire sometimes to create a hierarchy of responsibility or sustainability. You know, does the environment come before uh, waste and packaging, before living wages? Like there's, there can be lots of uh, discussion around how to prioritize mm. those things. How do you negotiate all of that with all of the values that you're keeping in the forefront of your organization? Look, we've got a, uh, a we've got a hashtag zero exploitation, and what that means to us is that every decision we make needs to come at no cost. Um, be working toward it coming at no cost to the environment or the people. And so, um, I would say the true meaning of sustainability is it has a social, environmental, and economic um, element to it. And I personally don't think that we should be able to claim sustainability on anything whilst we're not confronting all of those things based on the fact that a consumer doesn't necessarily understand what it means. And so we can, obviously greenwashing is a big problem today, and we can say, hey, here's our sustainable product, it's got organic cotton. Well, as you and I both know, that has that's 0.001 of a percent of the way there to becoming sustainable. And the reality is that there isn't a brand on the face of the planet that is sustainable currently. Um, but our commitment as a brand is to become 
absolutely 100% sustainable. And as far as brands go in the marketplace, we're certainly ahead of the game in this on an environmental and social level. Um, but we're not there. We still use ships, you know, right across the ocean, you know, delivering yeah. our airplanes jeans, are airplanes, used. you yeah. know, um, I drive a car, we all drive cars. And it's not that I'm necessarily saying that those things have to stop or that brands that aren't all the way there should be boycotted, but we absolutely should be committed to this zero exploitation model where we all are striving to become that. Do you ever feel like your practices are put under a uh, more powerful microscope because you do say that you are sustainable and you are very transparent about the impact you're trying to have? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I always and quite enjoy those moments too, because it's, um, I don't think as a brand, we should ever get to a place where we think we've, I we saw know your eyes sparkle in the like, yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now my wife who's a journalist and she's the one that crosses T's and dots the I's. Um, she doesn't love this so much, um, because she's the one that has to, you know, defend these things. Um, but look, I think, um, it's, it's not good to come from a place of saying, hey, that we, we've got it all together. We most certainly don't have it all together and we make mistakes. We made so many mistakes in the nine years we've been in existence. But the thing that uh, I guess is at the core of our heart is that we are here to create change. And so although today we're using the best methods possible that exist, we're also innovating to create new methods and better ways of producing so that eventually one day that zero exploitation hashtag doesn't mean that's where we make decisions from. It means it's what we are. And that's a that's a re, going to be a really powerful transition when that time comes. And we're working on some things that are just so exciting at the moment about um, with textile waste. And, you know, we're constantly working in partnership with universities and innovators to be able to um, solve the problems that we face within the fashion industry on an environmental and social level. And we're so far down the road now. It's really exciting because things are progressing really quickly in this space because there's been attention and consumers are now saying, Hey, I want to know that no one or, or nothing has been exploited in this process. And so it's an exciting time for a brand like ours, Outland Denim to be able to exist and be a part of this movement. I think you, Outland uh, came at a really wonderful time in the zeitgeist because Pry, you know, it used to be that as a sustainable brand, you had to really prove that you were fashionable. Like it wasn't enough just to be organic cotton or, you know, trying using, you know, zero waste technologies and stuff like that. There was this perception that you couldn't be sustainable and fashionable at the same time. And I'm curious about how Outland you know, what is your design process? Do you, are you one of the designers? Do you have a, a team of designers? Because clearly you're nailing the fashion element as well. Yeah, look, I mean, if you, if you want to change anything, you've got to become a product that people want. Um, if we're not a product that people want, we're just another charity and we're giving them a gene for their donation and that's not sustainable. And so it's been very important to us to focus on design and to become, to be producing products that people want. So our design lens looks like um, we're looking for pieces that they may only be in fashion for a few seasons, but they're certainly going to be back in fashion. And so we're designing those kinds of pieces that um, have longevity and are going to last um, the distance, you know, to, to reduce the amount of um, waste that people are, are discarding because it's just not in fashion anymore. 
But um, no, I'm not one of the designers. We've got a, a fantastic design team that work really hard on being able to try and um, bring us up to speed with where the trends are and what is happening and then put our, our own um, lens on that and be able to you know, create pieces that, that have not just this meaning of purpose, but this th- that it's a beautiful product that people see hanging on a, on a shelf and go, I want that. Yeah, you know? if no one buys it, then what's the point, Exactly, right? and I guess that's our business model is that it's been built so that you as um, somebody interviewing me now and is going to share our story with the world – um, you are equally important in this in this process of creating change, as well as the sales associate and and the the person that buys our product. All of us have the equal um, an equal part to play in changing the future just through purchasing a product that we love. On your website, you've got a lot of great information about your environmental practices that you know I want to drive people to to say go read about that. What I want love for you to share is what are some of the maybe stories you've heard from people, or what are some of the impacts that you are most proud of? Man, there's there's so many moments of where you've just sort of sat there and gone, wow, how did this happen? I mean, one story in particular that just I mean just just mind blowing, but you know. This one of our seamstresses was able to share how she'd built a home for a family and, you know, they lived under a plastic sheet before that, you know, it's a, it's, it's insane to us to think that that's, that's how they're living. And I mean, we do see people on our own streets living in that way as well, but she was the one that got herself out of this. And it was because she was given all the tools she needed to be successful. That's all she needed. And then she became successful. And then um, she was also able to buy a sister back from somebody who owned her. And, you know, so it's, it's absolutely life-changing for them. Um, there's so many more stories. I can remember sitting on a tuk-tuk um, the, in Cambodia the morning. Um, Meghan Markle wore our product. That must have been a very happy day. It was, it was overwhelming. I nearly burst into tears the on Megan this tuk-tuk. The Meghan effect you know? is real, right? <laughs> it really like, is it real. It really makes a difference. She's, and, you know, to have an ambassador for your brand um, in – to, to evolve in an organic manner um, and that's who stands for what she stands for. I mean, it aligns with our brand so well, um, but, but then to go to our seamstresses who have come from some challenging um, situations to seeing that they made the jeans for a princess, these premium jeans that she chose to wear out of the thousands of brands of jeans that she could have chosen. I mean, it's mind-blowing and I, the impact on the individual staff members is massive. And I guess that's what people don't get to see, but I get the privilege of being able to see that the impact on these people um, who've worked so hard to create a better future for them and their families and are now succeeding at that and they're, they're getting the recognition that they deserve. It must be so rewarding to go and visit the manufacturing facilities and your seamstresses because you've got various locations, do you not? Can you tell a bit about what your facilities are like? Yeah, look, we've got two facilities. They're both in Cambodia. Um, the first one, which is where the majority of our staff are, is out in a province. And we set up out there, um, which is more of a rural area, about two and a half hours away from the city. And the reason is it's um, set up so that they can be near their families. What happens with a lot of um, garment manufacturing facilities, they're set up in these hubs. And unfortunately, the staff have to leave their families. And we have, we've all heard the horrible stories of you know, mothers not seeing their children, you know, for, you know, might only see them once a year and having to live on, you know, concrete floors with, you know, hundreds of other workers. You know, we, we've heard those stories and we just didn't want to have anything like that. We, I mean, if we wouldn't be prepared to work there, why should they? And that's really our philosophy on these things. And so we went, well, I want to see my children every night. 
And so therefore we set it out there. Now, logistically, it doesn't make any sense. It makes it a lot more difficult, but it makes for a much better life for them. And then our second facility is in the capital city, uh, Phnom Penh. And um, that's an, an amazing new facility that we've got there where we're using the latest technology that um, is able to process the genes. And so using laser and ozone and eFlow technologies, which reduces water usage. It means that we're using organic chemicals, we're using water. And, and that part of the process is massive. If you want to have a, a big instant impact on the production of denim, that is the first place to go. Um, and so for us being able to have those two facilities that we have complete control over, meaning that we're able to make sure that every staff member is supported in the way they need to be supported, educated and trained. Um, but then beyond that, the environmental side of it, what happens with our waste, how we're processing our waste, what chemicals are being used and not used, um, and making sure that it's done the way that we claim it is done, that is just so important. Tell me about the messages that would be in pockets. Is that something that still happens? Because when I, I think when you hear about messages in clothing, it can often be a cry for awareness and help of a terrible situation. So tell me about the messages that would be in Outlands. We've all heard about the uh, horrifying stories that, um, you know, garment workers have slipped these messages in pockets. And, um, you know, that's that's in, insane for us to think about. But so I guess our take on that is that we asked, did anybody want to send a message to anyone who buys their product? And so a number of ladies put their hand up and said that they'd like to write a message to them. And, you know, it's, it's quite incredible um, to see what they write. And I guess it gives you a small indication of what it actually means to buy this product to them. And they've written these messages and now there's more ladies that would like to write messages and, um, and communicate to those that are willing to buy our products. That's, are they little pieces of paper? No, like? they're not. They're actually printed, um, uh, on the, if you turn your jean inside out on the inside of one of the pocket bags. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really cool. And they've, and, I just think that um, the the reason they want to do it is what's, what blows me away. You know, when they were asked um, why they want to do it, you know, some of these these ladies highlighted, if this is a part of being able to help um, the next girl get the opportunity that she now has, then I want to be a part of that. Well, and I think that speaks volumes to something that's even, you know, bigger still, which is we could, we could, our world is getting more and more populated, but in many ways we are becoming more and more disconnected from each other, be it because of, you know, in the fashion industry, how big supply chains are, you know, technologies allow us to communicate, but not necessarily connect all the time. So to have that kind of personal connection in the exchange of buying a garment, like that is that's amazing because if I discovered something like that in my jeans, I would like shadow box it and tell the world <laughs> and it must make them feel so amazing to know that someone yeah. is going to read it. It does. Um, I mean, they're blown away. We've had customers send messages back and been able to pass that on. And so those moments are very special to us. And I guess it's easy It's easy in our busy lives um, to not really think about that. But those, those times when those little messages have been sent back to them, um, I mean, you hear you hear them all giggle and laugh, and and you know it, it is exciting for them because they're being sold on the best shelves around the world, and we won't devalue what this product is. This product, yes, is a beautiful premium jean that is comfortable and looks amazing, but it has so much meaning. There's so much depth to what's gone into that jean and what it means and is going to mean for the future, and and so. 
we want to be able to connect our consumers to our seamstresses and for them to be able to just feel like they're as part of this journey as well. Tell me about as you were developing the the brand from the get go, because we've we've you know we've used the expression you know a premium gene a couple of times, and that can you know generally have connotations of you know price point. Yeah. Um, were you thinking about who your ideal consumer was? You know, obviously that had to fit into your business model somehow. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, um, for us, it's pretty simple. Um, for us to be able to produce a gene to sell, it has to be at the price point we're at. And and actually, if we were to go by the traditional model of how you would price something, we would be much more expensive. We wanted to bring it down as far as we could to make it as accessible to as many people as we can. And we realized that we're still in a premium price category. Um, but the cost of producing for us, so anytime somebody buys a gene, what they're buying is they're buying an opportunity for someone that won't get it. They're buying training into being able to produce the entire gene. They're um, buying a living wages, meaning that now these people get to have the same uh, lifestyle as we get to. They're buying an education for these people. They're buying organic um, you know, fibers and they're buying vegetable or organic dyeing. Um, and then the same all the way through to the washing process and then the bags that they're packed into sent to be sent, you're buying the most sound product in the market when it comes to environmental or social impact. And so that's that's what you buy when you buy a gene and therefore the price is at the the very bottom end of where it could be. Um, and But it's important to us to keep it there. And look, over time, we'd love to be able to come up with ways of reducing price to make it accessible in you know, in other products that we produce, but it's also a, a product that's that's worth even more. What has been some of the most unexpected things you've learned or discovered in this journey with Outland Denim? Oh my gosh, I've learned so many things and usually they've been unexpected. Um, I, It's very hard to pinpoint anything other than I would say it's been very unexpected that we would be received in the way we've been received. I was told how hard this was going to be, and it is hard, but not in being accepted. It's been much easier. It doesn't mean that there's like, you know, so many people have worked so hard to make sure that we've been heard and seen and, and that people know about us, but it does mean that it's it's an industry where people don't last. Brands don't last. You know, retailers usually sit back and watch you to see whether you can last or not. And we've had retailers back us very early on. I mean, we're sitting here in Holt Renfrew and these guys have been incredible supporters in getting us to where we are in here in Canada. So it's it's probably that I'd say that's that's blowing me away. Well, especially as a as an indie brand, like as, you know, you don't have the infrastructure or the pockets of a massive conglomerate behind you. Like that's amazing. Is there anything on the horizon for Outland? I mean, I know you're here in Canada from Australia. Is there anything else that's coming up? I mean, we have so many things in the pipeline. Um, we're always working on something new, whether it be um, you know something in our environmental sustainability or social impact. But then on the sales, retail, and marketing side of things, um, we've got some you know amazing news coming out and things that just blows me away. Just the idea that um, we're going to launch into the US and into the UK as well, and and then the re- level of retailers and the interest that are that are coming on alongside us is just to me it's just I mean it's hard to believe I've got to pinch myself. So your den- um, Outland denim is now available in Australia. It's available in Canada, available in the United States, and available in the UK. 
That's right. As, a, as of our spring release, will be available in the US and also in the UK. We'll be launching in the US with Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's. And in the UK, we'll be launching with Selfridges. So it's, um, it's insane to just think that, you know, in three years, we've been able to launch in four major regions in Australia with the best department stores um, there, David Jones and Myers. We came to Canada and launched with Harry Rosens and Holt Renfrew. We go to the US, we've launched with Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's, and then we go to the UK and we launch with Selfridges. And and that's where we've started and we're only three years old. So for me, that's that's an example of how the industry is ready for this. They want the change and they're willing to bring uh, new brands that are, that are committed to the change um, into the journey and support us to be successful. Are you optimistic about the future of sustainability within the fashion industry? I am. I am. I'm, I am optimistic by nature, but, but I believe this is a time in history that will be marked by a massive change, a change where things go back to the way it should have been in the beginning where everybody was treated fairly and that you wouldn't purposely exploit somebody or the environment. I mean, they're both our responsibilities as just human beings to, to be looking out for each other in that way. And the fashion industry is an amazing industry and it has so much potential and I'm super passionate to be able to see that this industry is going to be the, the change maker and lead all industries in, into this new season that we're going to experience of where things are done the, the right way. What an amazing legacy, James. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Donna. Uh, thank you so much for following along with Fashion Talks. A big thank you to CAFA, our producing partners in this podcast. Until next time, I'm Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks. Fashion Talks.